Welcome to Archery Talk 101 podcast, your guide to better archery skills. We'll bring you the latest tips, tricks, and expert advice, but that's not all. We'll also have interviews with top archers and industry professionals and reviews of the latest gear and equipment and much more. You can catch up. Hi, my name is Rory Cantabria. I'm going to be hosted today on Archie Talk 101 with a special guest, Nick. He's going to be on the show with us today. Uh, welcome to the show, Nick. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, so uh, tell us a little bit about uh, why and how you got started in archery. Well, you know, it started when I was a kid. You know, thankfully I had a, I had a family that grew up hunting and uh, had a passion for the outdoors. So um, my dad, he had a bow in my hand from the age of about three, four years old, shooting a long bow, to upgrading to a recurve. I uh, got my first compound when I was uh, 12 years old and just absolutely loved it. I mean, he started out putting a, a balloon out on a target, seeing if he could hit it, you know, and uh, it just, it was a lot of fun. Then I developed a passion for whitetail hunting. And so I uh, started going deer hunting all the time. And then in uh, my teenage years, I had uh, a guy that my dad worked with. Uh, he shot leaks. And that particular year, he didn't have somebody to partner with. And I asked, would you want to shoot archery leagues with me? You know, 3D archery. I'm like, man, that sounds awesome. That's when I found out I wasn't as good a shot as I thought because these guys were awesome. And I had to learn how to improve my skills. Yeah. Uh, and so they changed my bow setups. They changed releases I was using, stabilizers. And um, ultimately, uh, Jesse and Ginger Moorhead showed up in the picture when I was about 16 years old. And uh, world famous archers, they, I was blessed. They took me under their wing and uh, started training me and made me a better shot than I ever thought I could be. And that kind of started uh, my path to my pro archery career. So, yeah, interesting uh, journey. You know, I started my kids out. You know, when they was in that, you know, three to five year old range, shooting a little, um, little compound bow, only five pounds, but they yeah. come back. You know. And, you know, I had two of them and, you know, all of my kids went through those. And then of course those, you know, by the time your kids go through those, they're, they're pretty much just throw away because, you know, they don't work too much anymore, but yeah, nope. you start them out there and, and just, just get to going with archery. And I know me, I started back in, in, in the sixties before there was compound bows. Yeah. That and, was a, you know, you had either recurve or longbow and wood or fiberglass. That was it. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> So you you remember when the old bear whitetail twos and everything came out in the first compounds and oh oh yeah I actually shot one of those my brother bought one of those the first one I I seen was a compound and the first one I shot was was his bear whitetail two yeah that's what my dad you know that was his first one and and uh, you know I just I look at the equipment we used to have back then to what we have now and archery has came a, a long long way um, it, it's amazing today's bows the speeds they get the forgiveness the smoothness of them um but yeah that bug bit me pretty good when i was a kid though and absolutely love it so i i travel the circuit uh you know i i go to all the asa and ibo events I, i'm the pastor for asa so i host sunrise services at all the events and then i compete professionally for matthews at them all so um just love shooting my bow uh unfortunately this year uh hasn't started off how I planned on um, because uh, I had a valve that went bad in my heart. And so you can see this little device I got on my chest right now. 
unfortunately, I had open heart surgery a week and a half ago where they had to fix an aneurysm and put in a mechanical valve. So put a little damper on my shooting for the first few months of this year, but I will be back. I will be at the world championships and the ASA classic and, and finish the year as strong as I can. So. Yeah. With being that close out of surgery, really appreciate you coming on the show, you know, no problem after surgery. It's, you know, it's a testament to, you know, your, your dedication to archery. And, you know, we all appreciate that. Yeah. The, the surgeon, I was up walking in ICU uh, 12 hours after surgery. And then the next day I was in the heart wing room and he came to check on me and I'm walking laps in the hallway. And he just says, mine was blown on how well I was doing. And he goes, now that's what I want to see. He goes, but no shooting a bow for two months. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, come on, doc. I said, I, you know, I did build a light poundage bow the day before I went into surgery just to appease him. So that way I could get back to hopefully shooting sooner. And he goes, well, what's light poundage? Well, to me, 56 and a half pounds is light poundage when I'm used to shooting 75. Oh, yeah. To him, to him that's still too much. So uh, I got six and a half weeks to go at the soonest, and I can uh, shoot a bow again. But possibly up to 12 weeks, we've just got to see when this rib cage is fully healed up. So, Yeah, you definitely don't want to strain that and then, and then end your career just because you want to go a little too quick. But I know, yeah, it's, I, I wanted to go visit all the archery family out in Louisiana here in a couple of weeks and can't quite get a, them to release my restrictions yet. So oh. um, tournament back will be uh, Pipeston, West Virginia. I'm going to go visit the IBO Worlds. Um, I'll be at the NAS Eastern Nationals uh, talking with all the kids there. That's always a fun event in May in Louisville. And then my first ASA back will be in London, Kentucky. Then I'll be preaching there. I'll be running my booth and hopefully be off restrictions to maybe be competing. If not, my first tournament back competing will be Metropolis, Illinois, uh, the Superman shoot, which is kind of a cool one to come back. They got a big Superman statue um, right in their town. And, and since they put a steel plate on my chest afterwards, I kind of figured being the man of steel now that, you know, that might be a fitting shoot to come back to. <laughs> <laughs> that would be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, but uh, yeah, archery is a lot of fun. 3D is kind of more or less been my passion just because I love to hunt. Um, I hunt all over the country when I can. Uh, been elk hunting, bear hunting, pronghorn, whitetail, uh, obviously is kind of my passion. So I do a lot of that in different states. Yeah. But um, So 3D archery has always been something that's intrigued me because it, it kind of niches that two together. Uh, it helps hone my skills throughout the year for, for what I love to do in the fall. Yeah. That's kind of the way I, I was looking at, you know, I shoot the targets, develop my skills. So I know if I, I can hit that spot now, yep. then I'd like the three days because that gives me the, the chance to um, work on judging yardage. So I know how far it is. So I know where to put my pin. So now yeah. I know how to put my, where to put my pin. I know I can hit where I'm shooting at. And now all I got to do is is worry about that um, the, the nerves when the animal comes in. Absolutely, that's that you can't practice except for on the tournament range, especially when you get to those shoot downs and everything. There's a different type of nerve that you got to right. deal with. But but uh, 
nothing quite gets my heart heart racing as much as a, a giant pulp and young or a boone and crockett come strolling across that's that's on a different level but yeah the only thing close to that is when they when they pick this bionic deer out there they put it out there and steel deer shape except the vitals are cut out you know your, your yeah. lungs, lungs are harder cut out so the only place you don't destroy an arrow is in the vitals yeah it's amazing how some people is like ah easy shot and then clink clink or just pass up the shot because they don't want to take a chance of losing an arrow but yet they'll shoot at an animal at that distance or further absolutely um <laughs> we we had one tournament we were doing for a fun one a while back where we had one of those it was a, a bionic coyote one so oh. small kill zone yeah and yeah and uh you had a challenge every you had to, every time you hit it you had to step back 10 yards see how far you could go <laughs> oh <laughs> and uh, i think we we stopped at 50 60 yards you know to see if anybody can make it all the way to that point and uh a few people did but a lot of people lost arrows that day yeah. so <laughs> you say well i'll just take an old junky arrow with old junk arrows more likely going to miss than a good one yeah exactly you know I, I don't have any junky arrows. I, I kind of got to the point where if it's junk and it, it's it's throw it out. Right. So, <laughs> but I'm also blessed with Black Eagles being a sponsor. So, oh, uh, oh. it kind of helps. Arrows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I know when when I was shooting aluminum arrows, I buy a brand new dozen right for hunting season, and then I get them all fletched up and and ready, and then I would shoot them, make sure that the broadheads are flying good. And then I didn't shoot them in practice. You know, exactly. The season was over, do the broadheads off, and I use those. And it's amazing. By the end of the year, before I buy a new dozen, you know, how big the group is. You know, you might be able to keep it in in the the five spot, you know, on the, the mm -hmm. five ring on there, but you can't keep it in that small X ring. You get a new dozen, it just tightens right up. Like, of course, they're aluminums. Every time you shoot aluminum arrow, it, it weakens the spine, but you know. And I'll, I'll tell you the reason I don't keep a junk arrow around anymore. It stems from years and years ago. I used to. I always used to have one in my quiver, and it was my critter arrow for when I was hunting. I seen oh, yeah. a cop, something like that. It was an arrow that I'd grab out. Well, I got in the stand early one morning, and I had five good arrows and one critter arrow in my quiver, and it's dark, and I'm popping an arrow out and getting on my string ready for the day, not thinking nothing of it. And here comes this beautiful buck at 25 yards. And I pull back and shoot, and my arrow zigzags around and flies over its back. And I said, what in the world happened there? And I looked, and it was that junk arrow that had a little bend to it. Oh, yeah. And, and at that moment, I never had another one of those. And uh, I made sure every arrow that was ever in my quiver, uh, whether it be in the range or in the woods, you know, was 100% true to where I wanted to hit. Yeah, I know one time I was at an indoor 3D shoot. and you know, I just had, you know, random, ran, I'd grab them out randomly. And, and I was like, seemed like one of the arrows would always be off. So I said, all right. So I took, started spinning them on the way, pull them out and spin them. I had one that was bent. I was mm -hmm. shooting the bent one, didn't know it was bent. So I moved to a different spot and don't use it no more. And, and you know, by then you've already lost several points yep. you know, at the, the tournament. So yeah, I, that's the nice thing I like about the carbons. The carbons nowadays are, are so much better than the first carbons. Oh, absolutely. They, they, like I said all the equipment today has come so, so far from 
my early days of competition to where we are now, it's night and day. And, uh, and the funny thing is I shot phenomenal scores back then. So back then I feel I had to be a much better shot than what I do now because those bows weren't as forgiving. Those arrows weren't as forgiving as what they are now. And, uh, and I could remember, I could keep a, uh, about a nickel size group at 70 yards with my equipment back then. And, uh, I don't know if it's age creeping up on me or not, but I have a tough time doing that now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so. I, I, I'm not as steady as I used to be, so I have a little more challenge when, when I'm going out trying to shoot and keeping a you know good tight group. And when I'm when I'm on, you know, I of course I have hunting bows and tournament bows, and um, when I was going elk hunting, I knew I was going out west, and and there's possibility of long shots and. And so my hunting bow was actually dialed into 155 yards, spot on hitting 10 rings. Um, not that I ever planned on shooting an elk at 155 yards, but I wanted to know if one stepped out in front of me, but hey, it was in my in my wheelhouse. Right. And, uh, you know, the tournament archery side, you know, our, our max distance is 50 yards plus 3%. So if you're shooting IBO or ASA, you might get one out there 51, 51 and a half yards but that's about as far as you got to worry about shooting. Um, and you know, the shooting, the unknown game like that, that's, that's far enough right. because if you misjudge by two, three yards, that can make for a very bad day. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's a lot of people don't understand a, a lot too. I think is, you know, how big is your group at 20 yards? Are you grouping, you know, a four inch group as well? All you can do at 20 yards. You know, so what's your effective range to shoot? It might be 10 yards. Because yeah. if you're off by five yards, now you're already at six, now you got eight or 10, now you got a, you know, a bad hit. Uh, you know, that's why it's important to keep those group tight and shooting those different ranges. Uh, Absolutely. When I was shooting at the indoor range, we, we'd go back to 40 yards. The line was at 20. You go back to 30. But if you went and stood back by where the door come in where the elevator was, you could get out to 40. And okay. And we start off with, shooting at 20 and then I go back to 30 and then go back to 40 and, and and if I move back up to 20 the next thing I know I'm destroying arrows so I, yeah. couldn't, I couldn't shoot in single spots I just always shoot the five spot you know you know that way I don't have to worry about wrecking arrows because they get expensive <laughs> absolutely I, I was telling a young young man the other day I uh he got one of my old bows uh for tournament and and they give him some arrows to get him started and everything. And he was shooting really good. And he sent me a picture of Robin Hood one. I said, now it's time to start aiming at different spots. <laughs> yeah. Said, you know, it's cool to do, but it gets expensive after a while. What do you do with that? So yeah, I've I've got I've gotten several of them with aluminum arrows as well as uh um carbon arrows. And I know I shoot in aluminum arrows, I had some at 20 and I always I even had one at 30, you know. That's those, awesome. It, and then I've gotten multiple ones uh um, I know when I worked at uh, Cabela's, I worked there in the archery department for a while, and I got a couple of them there. They had one bow they come out with one year. I think Bowtech put it out. It was it was a Cabela's branded one. Also oh, the it, brand. Yeah, it could have been a diamond one. I forget which one it was now. Um, but we set it up, and then I'm shooting it, and I shot one arrow, shot the next arrow, stuck two of them together. And we set up for another guy, and he shot it one, uh, five one-inch circles and hit four of the five. Another guy shot up. Then they come back and says, "Oh, we, we got to pull these off. We can't sell them. We're having trouble with them." And we looked at the guy and says, "Is it the tax or what?" 
you know, because this one we shut we three different people shot his phone, no problems. And I said, yeah. two more, let's set those up. And said, no, no. So they recalled them, then come back out. I'm figuring it was probably, you, you know, when you go to a place like Cabela's, Bass Pro, Dick Shields, all those places in there, do you have a person that knows what you're doing in archery? Not normally, unfortunately. Um, you you got to go to your independent dealers a lot of times to right. find a bow tech that knows how to tune a bow. Um, your pro shops, basically. Uh, you go to the big box stores, they can't even serve in a peep site half the time or tie on a D loop. Yeah. <laughs> now, fortunately, when I was when I was at Bass Pro, that um, I had many years own loan shop for a while. One of the guys in there, he he worked in other shops. So, you know, between the the three or the four of us that was in there, we probably had it close to 60, 80 years of experience working on bows. That's awesome. You know, that was unusual. Yeah, exactly. I left there and went to Cabela's, and then. I was teaching the guy that was in charge of the department what to do on a bow because he didn't yeah. know. And then one of the guys that worked for, uh, worked with over at uh, Bass Pro, he come over there and and so then we had there and then I left and then he eventually left and I went at one time and you know I talked to the guy and he says, well he'd shot a bow on a kid he actually applied to get a different department and said we haven't opened an archery. He'd shot a bow before, <laughs> and he's so and they come it's like no nah, I just need you to unlock this cabin I want to see this release, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like no i forgot more about archery than you you'll probably ever know <laughs> yeah you know and that's the tough thing when people um they get frustrated when it comes to buying a bow or getting set up properly is they they go to some of those stores that have zero knowledge and, right. and hire some professionals but they they don't and um and so there, people are buying bows that are not set up for them. The draw length's way too long. They're not timed. They're they're getting told, "Oh, this works for it," you know. And it, it's sad, but uh, that's why I try and encourage people to to buy the bows at the at the mom and pop shops, your pro shops. You know, uh, most of the time you can find somebody with some knowledge at one of those. Um, unfortunately, there's a few of those that I've been to uh, that people wanted to start a bow shop that probably should have went to school first right uh, you know <laughs> i feel if you own an archery shop you should know everything about tuning a bow that needs to be known like with everything that you're selling so if you're selling matthews hoyt bowtech it don't matter you should know the ins and outs of every single one of those bows if you're going to be selling them yeah um, when i got my store i spent a week down in pse down in tucson arizona going to their dealer school learning all yeah. that stuff back then they had steel cables on your bows like the nova bow oh yeah out. i sold lots of those because they had three different draw links in them there's three different ones and i'd also i'd carry two and right and one and left and all the three different sizes and that's why i the last year i had to store 40 percent of my bows are left-handed no why because i stocked them yeah i didn't that... stock me the upper end ones but you know <laughs> i did on a couple of them and i had one of my my shooters was left-handed so you know, if they want to try a left-handed bow, it's like, okay, him come in. Let's, you know, like try your bow. And we had one come in, his 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 uh, bow for that year come in. Guy was looking at one, left-handed, shot it and bought it. Well, then I had to order another one for him. Yeah. But that's what your shooters do, you know. Oh, absolutely. You know, and in a lot of places, left-handed bows are tough to get in a lot of places. And um, I know a few people that are left-eye dominant, so they've taught themselves to shoot left-handed. So, it's not necessarily just for a left-handed person. It's right. It's getting with their dominant eye. Um, 
And, and a lot of people don't realize that that have struggles getting into archery either. Uh, you really need to know what dominant eye you are before right. you start. And, and, and I, I forget to explain that, you know, I'm talking about left hand. I mean, left eye dominant shooter. Yeah. Yep. You know, the, one of the interesting ones, I had a, a set of twins come in one time. So I'm checking them. One twin was right-handed, the twin was left-handed. Well, the left-handed kid was right-eye dominant, and the other one was the opposite way around. So, wow. So your right-hander is left-eye dominant, your left-hander is right-eye dominant. So, <laughs> you know, it's they were completely mirrored on, on, on all those aspects like that. And, you know, it's amazing how many people that are left-eye dominant don't even know it. Exactly. That's why I try and get everybody before if they've never shot a, a bow to, to do that, you know, some there's some different tests where you can figure out what, what dominant eye you have, you know, and uh, once we establish that, then I'm like, all right, you might want to try a left handed bow. Now, some people it's awkward for them because they've right. done everything their whole life. And um, but if you never shot, it, it doesn't seem as awkward, I guess, you know, to a beginner. And uh, I got a buddy of mine who's left eye dominant. He fought, he went to a left-handed bow from right-handed, but it was always so tough for him to find a good left-handed bow. You know, right. like, shops don't carry them, you know? And so he went back to a right-handed bow, but started shooting with a red dot sight where he could keep both eyes open. So that was kind of his, you know, way of curing it, you know? Yeah. Uh, but thankfully I'm right-handed and right-eye dominant. And, and so... It's a lot easier for me to get a hold of my bows each year. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, one of the things that I do when, when you're looking at it is, you know, I'll have them look at an object off of the distance and then put their hand up and, and then look at yeah. it. Oh, you can see it. And then I'll put my hand over and cover it. You still see it? Yeah, you still see it? No. And, yep. and it's like, if you shoot the wrong eye, that's how far off you're going to be. And, and it can be off by feet. Yeah. Um, you know, just at 20 yards. Uh, what happened to me is I'm right eye dominant. I shoot right handed, and my my right eye has been clear. My left eye is not quite as clear, and, and I I see two images. I see double double vision. I have prisms in my glasses to help with that, but I see two sets of pins. Always have. I have the right eye ones and nice bright clear pins. The other ones are kind of dim and and weak. Well, when the right eye started fogging up, the left eye is my clear eye now. What does my mind pick up? Because it ignores the other ones. I shoot both eyes open. My mind oh, no. ignores the dim set of pins. So what yeah. did it do? Out hunting one time, it ignored the, the right eye pins. It picked up the left eye pins. I put that pin right behind the shoulder where it's supposed to be. You know, I hit it in the back hip. Hit an uh. artery, so I still got it. And then I was like, what's going on? <laughs> so I go down to the range. And when I practice, I close my left eye when I'm practicing because I'm focused on just, you know, developing that skill. So I go back. Nailed it right on. Opened up both eyes. I missed. I was shooting at the right on the five spot. I missed the paper on the left. Wow. I was off by that much because I had <laughs> the wrong eye picking up the pins. Yeah. And then I'm out hunting after that and I'm blinking my left eye, trying to force my mind to pick up the right set of pins. And then one thing I discovered, I always wear a baseball cap and then, you know, I have a hooded sweater on one time. And as I turn your head, the hood doesn't move. Your head moves inside the hood. So guess what? The, the hood blocked my left eye. Yeah. I still shoot both eyes open when I hunt, but yet my left eye gets blocked. There you go. <laughs> that works. Yeah. You know, I, I got such a powerful difference in my right and left eye. I shoot with both eyes open. I've had a few archers saying, how do you do that? And I said, well, that's because I got 2010 vision in my right eye. It's super strong. 
but I'm legally blind in my left eye. I got 2200 vision in there. Oh. <laughs> and so I don't, but I got the peripheral I, I can see out of it, which kind of helps out for my field of view. Right. Uh, but that's why it's, it's never been an issue with me because I'm automatically going to focus right out of my right eye. It's where it's going to be clear. And uh, it's, it's worked out pretty well for me. Yardage judging, it, it, it become a different challenge for me because of the difference in my two eyes. Um, but I've, I've learned to manage with that over the years. So, Well, and you can get a pair of glasses to help with that. Just have strength in the left eye and the right eye, just kind of leave it alone, just glass in there. I, I did that for many years when I was younger and then finally had an eye doctor that told me not wearing glasses was keeping my right eye stronger. So um, I kind of went that route and went back away from the glasses just because that 2010 vision is pretty nice to have. Right. So um, now if that ever changes, yeah, we'll have to figure that out. I'm sure in a few years I might be noticing some of that when I get closer, closer to that senior class. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, your eyes kind of, kind of go go on the wayside sometimes, and you know, it's like you're shooting, you know, 150 yeah. yard shots. Like, yeah, I can't see that far. <laughs> you know, I can't yeah. see clear enough, so I'm not going to take a shot like that just because it's too hard for me to see. And you know, I look at my pans. You know, it's kind of weird. I don't know what it is, but you know, I got fiber optic pans. I got you know the, the you know like four of them or five of them. I forget now. Mm -hmm. but, um. When I'm looking at them, you know, normally a fiber optic pan, you're going to have like a red dot or a green dot or yellow dot. I don't see a dot. It looks like there's a black hole. It looks like a donut, a red donut. Oh. So now they're, they're weird looking pins anyway. And yeah, so yeah, I'm not shooting over about 40 yards anyway. No, <laughs> no, I won't shoot, you know. <laughs> and hunting, most of your shots are 40 or less. Right. Uh, especially if you're hunting any type of woods, swamp area. Most time you're not getting a long shot. I mean, the longest I've ever harvested an animal, uh, I shot one buck. Uh, it was at 70 yards. Uh, I knew I had no problem making the shot. Uh, my bow was dialed in for well beyond 100. And uh, it's just one of those perfect opportunities. And and I smoked him and he went 20 yards and fell over. So um, most of the time I, I, I like to get him in closer. Right. Uh, now out west that's a different game out there those guys are used to taking long shots it's nothing for 90 100 yard shots on pronghorn out there it's crazy um yeah. i shot my pronghorn at 60 over a water hole so i guess you know that was kind of a, a closer shot on one uh than what most people get yeah they're they're kind of a, a tough animal to hunt because you really can't spot and stalk them because they're out in the open and they see you way before you see them yeah they it's a lot of fun though. I, I did both. I, I hunted over a water hole. One day we went spot stalking, crawling up the side of mountains, hiding behind rocks. And, and every time I'd get on my knees to get draw it on one, they'd kind of seem to catch me right before I could get the pin settled on them and take off. And, um, it was a fun afternoon of trying, but yeah, right. I, I ended up having to shoot mine over a water hole though. <laughs> yeah. Well, w whatever you got to do to make it work. Right. Yep. I know sometimes stocking in can be be a challenge. I I, I was at this one place and and uh, on the farm there's a little farm road there, and the buck was or a doe was bedded down right next to the the road, and there's kind of you know grasses along the road. So I took off my boots so I wouldn't make any noise. I started sneaking up. I got belly crawled up. So I was five feet away from the deer. Then I realized 
I'm not going to be able to get up to draw my bow. It's not a crossbow, so I can't shoot it sideways. It's not a, a you know recurve or longbow, so I can't shoot yeah. it laying down. And I'm like, okay, so I just kind of backed out, and <laughs> but it was kind of fun going up there and getting that close to it. And oh, absolutely. Um, you know, bear hunting. I've I've never tried anything besides hunting them over bait, um, but that's fun. That's a it's a different type of rush. Uh, they come in so quiet. It's just it's kind of like. Uh, both bears I shot, I guess I was kind of dozing off. So <laughs> I had my eyes kind of closed, but sitting out there all afternoon and, you know, something just kind of told me to open my eyes and, and then bam, I had a bear there 10, 10 yards, never heard it coming in. Oh yeah. Uh, and uh, so that was my first bear experience. I shot that one. And then uh following year, I went back up to Canada and, and harvested a 400 pound black bear kind of, again, I just got done from a little nap <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I open my eyes and, and I see this giant head come out of the bush and I nudge my cameraman. I said, hit record. And uh, I knew he was huge. And uh, I was able to harvest that one too. Um, that was the biggest bear out of 43 hunters in camp taken. So oh, that's uh, good. Yeah. Uh, I just, I love everything outdoors, uh, whether it's hunting, like I said, the tournament archery, um, just getting out into God's country, you know, uh, that's yeah. why uh, we have our ministry. It's called God's Country Outdoor Ministries. You know, I, I share my faith with hunters and outdoorsmen and, and, and the archers. You know, when I do the sunrise services at all the national archery tournaments, um, sharing God's creation that he, he made for us to enjoy. And uh, just kind of always find my peace when I'm out there sitting in a deer stand watching the sun come up and, and just it's hard to look at that and not find a happy place. Right. And, uh, that's why archery has always been, that's my favorite time of year. It's my favorite season in Michigan here. It's October 1st through November 14th. You got the fall colors, you got the crisp, cool mornings. Everything's beautiful. Now you, you get to the end of November, you might have a foot of snow on the ground. Mm -hmm. It's, it's its own, you know, beauty in a, in a way, but that's the time of year I'm, I kind of want to get next to the fire and warm up a little bit anymore. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting a little soft the older I get. So yeah, yeah we have tons to do that. Nicely with the snow on the ground, it's easier to track and you can see your footprints. Yeah, absolutely. So that was one of the things I remember growing up as a kid, opening day gun season, November 15th. Everybody always prayed for snow. Because that way if you shot a deer, you could got that nice blood trails a lot easier to to follow and just oh yeah and that snow yeah it's easier that uh, way yeah and so uh which we've had a lot of days uh mid-november with snow and then we've last few years it's been kind of mild though uh a couple of them we had rainstorms which is kind of a difference i don't i don't care to hunt in the rain on a downpour but if you get a good mist going on and just got that overcast oof, that brings out those big boys. Yeah, they they feel a little more secure coming out. Yep. I know that reminds me of the time I was. It was it was rainy out, and um, my hunting buddy at the time was was wanting to go, and I, was, I really didn't want to go hunt in the rain because it's kind of pain to track them. And yeah. I, and I'm thinking it's like, okay, if I don't go, he's gonna sit in my tree stand and shoot a nice deer out of my tree stand. So I went. So guess what I did? I shot a deer out of my tree stand. Go. And then. 
it was it was raining enough that there wasn't be much blood trail. So I give some time. I got down and I'm following the footprints and see a little bit of blood here and there. So I know which footprints to follow. And I basically follow the footprints to the to the deer. Yeah, I I had a buddy of mine, kind of same scenario as one of those rain days, and he don't get a chance to hunt very often. I said, hey, let's go out. And so I took him out. I had a two man stand. I took him out. I said, I'll just run camera tonight. And one of the nicest bucks in the area came came right out thirty yards and. And he smokes it, and and, uh, and we were hunting a big open bean field that it just fell over in the middle of. So we didn't have to worry about track, and it's kind of nice when you can see him go down like that. Yeah. Um, but then it started downpouring, and we had a half mile drag afterwards. So yeah, oh. you know, it was it was one of those fun experiences. About eleven o'clock at night, by the time we got done. And, uh, yeah, we're, those, we're, those are no no fun in, in the rain. But you know what? your reward is is all that good eating absolutely we uh between my son myself my wife uh and i got two other children but between the three of us we uh we harvested eight deer last year so we like we we like to keep the freezers full or the canners uh we uh i can a lot of the venison oh yeah yeah just it makes for quick easy meals pop a top warm it up and you're good to go so uh we, we try and can about two to three deer each year doing that. Um, and then we, we like to make a lot of venison roast, uh, put it in the crock pot, let it slow cook all day. Uh, all right. and just, Potatoes, carrots, onions. Yep, yep, a little cream of mushroom soup with it, and, and, uh, and you're good to go. So um, now my son Dalton last year, he shot three deer with his bow, oh. uh, 12 years old. Shot his two bucks and then shot a doe, uh, all with his compound. Uh, and so he he's becoming quite the hunter. Yeah. And, and so I I get to sit back I think here in a couple more years and just let the kids do it. I just I go out there and watch and and, uh, and coach them a little bit and uh, you run they, the camera and. <laughs> yep, I'll gather the footage and and uh, and get to enjoy it. So. Uh, I get more enjoyment anymore. It seems like out of hunting, out of putting people on deer and seeing oh, yeah. them. I, I've been blessed. I've, I've, I've harvested a lot of deer uh, or killed a lot of deer. <laughs> <laughs> Over the year, I got a wall full of trophies. Um, and as cool as that is, nothing compares to watching one of my kids get their first buck or mm-hmm. their baby buck or a friend that's never shot a big buck to put him on one um i I get more enjoyment out of that anymore Uh, last year i had a pastor friend of mine hunting with me oh yeah uh he never has shot uh, a pope and young buck and probably one of the biggest bucks that i would have ever harvested came out that night and it was me and him in the stand together i didn't you know we we both had our bows in case we had a chance to double right but i didn't i didn't even grab the bow i said i grabbed the range finder and a call to try and turn this buck to get him in i said get your bow and get ready and he's standing there 51 yards absolute monster 10 point 22 inch plus spread and uh-huh. uh, i couldn't get him in be closer than 51 yards he just he was kind of committed to being on the path that he was on and uh and he goes, it's just a little too far out of my comfort zone, which I understand, you know, he, he, right. he used to take shots like that. I said, 
he's right in my wheelhouse right now though <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but i wanted to get him that buck so bad i never raised my bow and uh only thing we could do is watch it and let it walk off and, and hope for another day so uh afterwards i kind of told him i said you know i could have smoked that thing so easy <laughs> uh, and he's like yeah i know you could have he goes i'm surprised you didn't grab your bow i said but i wanted you to have it that had just been another big buck with the other ones on the wall and it would have meant more to you than it would have me right uh, and that's kind of plan on spending my rest of my years kind of doing that yeah i'm gonna go after a couple myself here and there because but my family's already realized that if they don't want to go out hunting one night, dad's going. And there's times I tell them it's the perfect night. You need to go. Oh, can we, can we take today off? Can we go another time? You know, I'm kind of tired or I want to do this today. I said, that's fine. And so I'll go out and I'll shoot a big buck normally. Yeah. <laughs> and call mom and say, Hey, let mom bring the truck around. Daddy's tagged out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh, that's the one I want to hunt this year. Like, I huh. told you. <laughs> can't, you can't kill it if you're not in the fields. <laughs> yep, exactly. Did that to my daughter a couple of years ago. She had one buck we called Dagger, beautiful 10 point. And October 25th has been my favorite day of hunting. Ever since 2012, I shot my biggest buck on that day. Still trying to outdo that buck. And um, so I, every year I've seen a big buck on that day. October 25th, mark your calendar, get it in the woods. It's when the big bucks start moving. It's just been my experience, at least here in Michigan. Yeah. And so every year I've went out, every year I've either filmed or harvested a giant buck in that day. Now, two years ago, there was a particular buck my daughter was at called Dagger. And we had trail cam pictures of him, beautiful buck. She really wanted it. It was October 25th. I said, there's two things going on today. It's it's the day to be out, perfect weather. And she didn't want to go out that night. So I went out and shot him. <laughs> and uh, I, I got out the stand 10 minutes later. He pops out. I grunted him. He came in on a string. And that was the end of it. <laughs> and uh, the following year, had an opportunity to outdo my biggest on October 25th. And a tree limb glanced my arrow and unfortunately hit him in the back cap. Oh, no. And I, and I did not get the artery. Uh, that was a heartbreaker on that one because he was an absolute monster pushing 180 inch deer. And in Michigan, you don't see a lot of those. Um, and he's still running around out there, you know, but I, I, I'm still after him. I just, you know, I got to get him. And then this year, uh, this past season, October 25th, my wife finally listened to me and she went out hunting. I went to another property though, that we have a lease on and she saw my target buck oh. walk up to my stand as she was sitting across the field and she couldn't believe her eyes, how big he was. And I, and so the one time he walked up to my stand all season, I was hunting a different property, <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully this year. I'll get another crack at him before, before he starts going downhill. He's seven and a half years old now. So he's kind of at that peak right now. Uh, he ain't going to get any better. No, no, they, they don't last too much after that. No, but I'm excited. I'm fired up. 
I'm going to go chase some turkeys here in a couple of weeks. Uh, even though I'm, I'm still healing up. <laughs> um, I'm on a, on a, on a 10 pound weight restriction right now. And, and, uh, I, I can't shoot a bow right now, but I can lift a, a sniper light mission crossbow up. <laughs> and, and so I got to cheat a little bit this spring, but I, I feel it'll get the job done on some turkeys anyway. Well, you know, and, and I pretty much comes up every, every podcast almost, you know, what is archery? Yeah. A stick with a string playing another stick. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. a crossbow. That's a longbow. It's a compound. It's a recurve. Yep. Uh, you know, <laughs> and it's been, unfortunately it's concert, you know, controversial. Um, sorry, I can't talk, uh, with so many people like, oh, you shoot a crossbow or, oh, you shoot this or you shoot that. That's not true archery. Well, it all is a form of archery. Crossbows have been around forever. Oh, yeah. Been... During the medieval times, that was. Yeah, medieval times. I'm all for somebody going with any legal form of hunting. Um, For the traditionalist, if that's how you choose, go enjoy it. Right. And, you know, we, we should be bonding each other together and never tearing each other apart of what somebody chooses to hunt with. I've killed deer with compounds. I've killed deer with crossbows. I've killed deer with guns. I've killed, you know, uh, and so if it's in a season and I can get out and enjoy it, I've got to go do it. Right. Uh, um, last year I shot a giant with a crossbow just because I wasn't planning on hunting that day. Um, I went out to a buddy's house and uh, I had a friend that was up from Georgia. He was interested in a new crossbow, so I wanted to show him one that uh, just came out. So I brought it over there to kind of just show him. I said, hey, do you want to take it out and hunt with it tonight? He's up there in age, so that's all he can hunt with anymore. He just he, right. there's a, don't allow him to pull a bow back. And he goes, that's really nice. He goes, but he goes, uh, he goes I'll just use the one I got tonight. He goes, aren't you going to hunt? I said, well, I didn't bring my bow with me. I said, oh, he goes, we got that crossbow right there. I said, well, I guess, yeah, I, I guess I could, but I wasn't really planning on it. So, uh, so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go out, I guess. And I, I had my hunting clothes in there because I was just going to sit with him and film. Right. Yeah. But, but instead, I find myself spot stalking around the woods, you know, looking for a spot to sit down and take a nap with a crossbow in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, my dad had just had open heart surgery. So I've been, up at the hospital for two weeks kind of uh things were kind of touch and go for a little bit and so um i hadn't hunted a lot at that moment and i i left the hospital early enough just to visit with some friends you know that afternoon and uh so i went out there and i found a few different spots and i kept sitting down i said well none of these spots are gonna work this ain't comfortable i can't take a good nap right here <laughs> thinking it's about fun. a nap not hunting <laughs> Yeah, and so I finally found this big stump and uh, had all this pile of rocks next to it. And I said, I think I could lay against this, get me a good nap. I've got a good view. And so I brush all the leaves off of it. And as I'm brushing the leaves off, it's like, man, it kind of sounds like a deer making a, making a scrape. And I had a grunt call with me. So I'm brushing leaves off, brushing more leaves off. <laughs> next thing you know here, coming right into me giant seven and a half year old 21 inch wide eight point 
<laughs> charging it 20 yard stops broadsides when i smoke them it's <laughs> well i wasn't planning on that tonight but it worked <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it's when you uh, least expect it <laughs> exactly yeah uh so just a just a blessing we had last fall i said but i did it with a crossbow but that was cool you know it was fun and uh I hunted with my compound the rest of the year and, and I shot a couple, oh, I guess three does with it, you know, have fun doing that too, but, uh, never seen another target buck to get, um, and, uh, Michigan is a two buck state, but it's been 10 years since I've shot in two bucks in one season. Cause I'm, I'm pretty particular on the ones I harvest. I, I'm pretty fortunate to get one Pope and young normally every year. Um, two has always been a, a goal of mine had the opportunity this past season to do so November 14th last day of bow season I've always wanted to kill a buck on that day and I had my opportunity with three different bucks one at the beginning of the season I said I had a shot but that was prior to being down to one tag yeah <laughs> uh he come in um I was playing with cell cameras this year so it's kind of a, a neat thing my cell camera goes off so I'm looking at my phone knowing what buck's getting ready to come into me. I said, man, that's, that's tempting. And I had my bow in my hand, and he, he came into 40 yards broadside. And uh, I just couldn't get myself to pull the trigger on him. I looked at him. I said, I think one more year, and uh, then I'll harvest you. I said, it's just kind of – I've already shot one buck this year, and I had – I was still after my particular target buck I was hoping to see again. Yeah. And um, it would have been perfect because he was literally standing right in front of my other camera and I, would, I had it on video mode. So I, I could have got the, the pass through of the arrow on the other side. It would have been a pretty cool shot. But I let him walk and then my neighbor shot him opening day of gun season the next day. So <laughs> choices I make, you know, sometimes have consequences. But <laughs> yeah. But that, that's, sometimes that's the way it goes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so he sends me a picture the next day. I heard him shoot. And I said, did you get a good one? He goes, that's the biggest one I've seen all year. And he sends me a picture of it. I said, oh, man, congratulations. I said, that's awesome. And and and, and you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> welcome. I said, yeah, I let him walk yesterday. <laughs> kind of joked with him. And, uh, but he, he's kind of been after the same wide eight point I've been after. Uh, you know, we I nicknamed him Heart Attack. Because if you see him, you're going to have a heart attack, basically. He's about 26 inches wide. Uh, tall tine, 300-pound deer, lots of mass. Um, something outdoor magazines, you know, dream up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've been watching him. I had, uh, at three and a half years old, had an encounter with him. And... Uh, I was going to harvest him that year and it didn't work out because he was a stud then. And then he blew up and I'm glad I didn't harvest him because he just, he's turned into something pretty special. So. Yeah. That's, that's something you have to think too, you know, what area you're in, if you're in an area where, um, you know, come rifle season, if it's Brown, they shoot it, you know, so then, then you can't let the big ones walk because chances are they won't make it that season and yeah you kind of know you know what the mentality of the hunters in your area are and you know who else is hunting and uh, you know even private land you know you you've got some areas that you, you might be hunting one property but the property next door they don't care 
what they shoot. They just want, yep. if it's a deer, they shoot it for the meat, you know, and they don't care yeah, if it's black or fawn or what. And uh, that's a chance I take every year when I let something walk. And I, I, I let 20, 30 bucks walk each year, you know, and some people go, you're absolutely crazy. Well, I do it for a couple of different reasons. Number one, I like to see them grow up. Number two, I like to hunt. I said, if I shoot the first bucks I see, I'm done the first week of season. Well, then right. I'm going to be, you know. <laughs> and so um, that and I got a lot of, you know, like I said, wife, kids, and everybody else I try and get on deer. And so uh, I'm the picky one in the family. I got the rest of them. They're happy to get a deer, you know. Right. Uh, so they see a decent two-and-a-half-year-old eight-point. He, he's in trouble, you know. Right. <laughs> And, uh, and I'm fine with that. I, I've never judged anybody for what buck they shoot, uh, whether it be a little spike or four corn or, a, or 170 inch 10 point, you know, it, it doesn't matter as long as they're happy with it. Um, I just, you know, I I'm blessed in an area that has some pretty good potential. And, uh, even the neighbors that don't care per se, they don't shoot a lot of deer. They shoot maybe one for meat or something like that. So yeah, go ahead, shoot whatever you want. 90% of the deer are going to make it though. And, and so there's a better chance of seeing something a little bit bigger next year. So, yeah. Well, especially if you're seeing that many bucks come by, then there's a chance that you're going to get a good high percentage of them are going to, going to survive. And yeah, so I, I'm blessed with an area that has a, a backwards buck to doe ratio. Um, we got about a four to one bucks over dose. Oh, it's in wow. And everyone's like, well, what's wrong with that? And I said, the rut <laughs> when you don't have a lot of does mine all my bucks all leave you know they're looking um so i don't shoot does behind my house for that reason uh just because i want to keep the few that we have around it right there then i got other properties where it's it's the opposite and you go out there and see 40 50 does in a night those are the properties that's that's where i go do my meat hunting on and and we'll right harvest six eight does off there each year and uh just trying to trying to help balance the herd as best as i can you know yeah they do the same thing in in your fishing world you know when you have your your bass limits you know some will have a 21 inch limit and they'll lower it down to 15 and you know yep. a lot of bass fish they, they start to play it's like well what are you doing what are you doing as well you have too big a fish you don't have enough food and then you have to reduce them down and then you increase the food. It's, it's, it's a balancing act and the same thing Absolutely. you're doing where you have a high number of bucks, shoot only bucks, high number of does, you know, shoot the does and, yep. you know, get that balance out there and it's going to make the herd even better. Absolutely. It's all about a healthy conservation of the herd. And uh, um, I feel we do our part pretty good each year with it. And uh, so far everything's worked and, and uh, hopefully it continues to go that way. Well, and then too, when you get, you know, you get a, a buck that has kind of deformity or something in there, a weird growth pattern or something, unless you want to encourage that, that's the one you take out, get that, yeah. that gene pool out of the, out of the, the mix. And, you know, that way it makes everything a little better and, you know, get rid Absolutely. of the small skinny ones and, and the ones that are not, not the best shape and leave the healthier good genetic bucks to breed like right we, we had one doe that we kept alive for seven years that we know of she had triplets every year oh and here it seems like she always had like three button bucks we'd watch those grow up and their first set of antlers would be 
like a nice eight point, you know, at a year and a half old. And then at two and a half, they, they were really nice eight point, you know, that most people couldn't let go. And, uh, it's very important for doe genetics to be out there too. Right. Cause you can take a great buck with a mediocre doe and get a decent buck, or you can take a mediocre buck with a great doe and get a great buck. But if you get that combination of a great buck and a great doe, then you're, then you're getting these super freaks out there. Um, yeah. <laughs> so some does you don't want to shoot. Um, there, there, there's ones to harvest and there's ones to uh, probably be a good idea to let them go. <laughs> yeah. You get to know your herd pretty well and be able to identify that that's, that's the one you want to keep. And yeah, fortunately I've been hunting this property for over 30 years. So uh, I've, I've gotten to know, how things work on this particular piece and and uh it, it's helped out you know if somebody new came in didn't know uh it definitely probably changed things up a little bit for right. sure that's nice you you've been a hunter for so long and that way you know the property and, and you know how to take care of it and uh and the landowner definitely likes what you're doing <laughs> yeah it's it's funny i'll bring somebody over to hunt with me and i'll say go sit in this stand and i'd show them and uh they're like you put me out an oak tree in the middle of 80 acres right here with nothing around it why would i sit just here and i said trust me and uh you know i didn't put them in the swamp i didn't put them in the woods i didn't put them in, you know in this pinch point i put them and they said why do you got to stand there i said because 90% of the time there's a heavy run trail and those deer just walk right by it. And it, it's just years of experience knowing that, you right. know? Um, and so it's, it's kind of neat learning your herds and learning the pros and cons of what to do and what don't do. And, and uh, <laughs> it's made funding a lot hunter over the years for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's a little different. I got one property that, that we hunt that uh, I think I've seen three or four deer during the daytime, you know, last year's season, I caught one on a trail camera during the day, everything else is middle of the night, or there's one spot they come in uh, just before shooting time. Yeah. And yeah, you, you can't, you know, where they go, because you can't track them once they, they come past that camera, if you don't catch it on one of the other cameras, yeah, you know, where they're going. And so I'm thinking they're going away, they come in and, and because they're coming from one side going past the camera, I'm thinking they might be going over the hill or something, but I'm not catching them on any cameras on the other side. Yep. You know, when they're coming through at, at you know, 10 o'clock at night to three or four o'clock in the morning, you can't hunt them. I know it. It's uh, that, uh, that time of year where most deer running nocturnal until, until you get that hot dough to change everything up. And those are the days you need to be out there. Yeah. Uh, because uh, you got that that one to two weeks where it's really special and uh and all your nocturnal bucks start coming out in the daylights and you know, of course I, I work a lot of scrapes that time of year try and get a stand set up over there because those bucks are going to be hitting them they're going to be chasing and so um but yeah I'm always looking for my early season spots my rut spots and my late season spots where I'm going to hunt because late season you're going to you're going to tend to go to those food sources because that's where they're going to be hitting. So, yeah, and this this one's happened to be just mostly open fields, except there's you know tree lines along the the boundaries uh, is pretty much there, and 
you know, it's it's transition point, you know, at night. And yeah. I know last year we went in and we seen two of them come in and my son got one right away and I wasn't even at my tree stand yet and and come running over the top of the hill. I was like, I'm I'm not even ready. I'm just getting my stuff off the four-wheeler, getting ready to walk <laughs> down to the place. I'm gonna go sit down and hunt. And here comes this deer running across. And when we pulled in, we seen two of them walking in the field and got in there and sure enough he was able to just go up and take one right away there you go you killed that one and then uh um i didn't see any more that day that's the only one i seen and (laughs) those days happen yeah Um, what what part of the country you normally hunt Uh, eastern part of nebraska eastern nebraska okay never hunted nebraska That's, that's one of the states i haven't checked off my list yet but uh missouri was one i've whitetail hunted a lot that's uh that's a special place northern missouri kind of get those iowa carryover bucks you know and uh they grow them pretty big over there um kentucky has been a favorite spot to go hunting over the years um i took my son to kentucky in october this past season and uh wanted him to get his first out-of-state buck so I said, well, I'm not even going to hunt until he, you know, shoots one. And uh, I bought my tag and got him his. And, you know, he shot three deer last year, you know, two bucks and a doe. But going to Kentucky, we were hunting some pretty big bucks. And buck fever kind of got the best of him. And uh, yeah, <laughs> he uh, unfortunately missed three different bucks with his bow in Kentucky. Uh, so... I didn't hunt, I, but I enjoyed watching him um, have those opportunities and get all rattled up on some of the biggest bucks he's ever seen in his life. So that was that was kind of a neat time. Yeah, that's that's always fun when you can see them, you know, get excited and then yeah, you know, the next time you go, he'd be a little more relaxed because he's already went through the, you know, trials of seeing those great big monsters come in. Absolutely. Plug my phone in here. (laughs) Battery was getting a little weak. Yeah, they have a tendency to do that. (laughs) Give me just two seconds. Apparently, it came out of the wall too. Oh, (laughs) there we go. I don't move around quite as fast as I. I'm used to, but I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just got to watch how well I, or how much I bend certain ways. So, oh, yeah. Got... Imagine that. That doesn't feel good if you bend wrong. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm so blessed to be able to bounce back as quick as I have already, less than two weeks after surgery. A lot of people are still in the hospital at this point, but uh, I just, you know, God bless me with an amazing strength through it all. I, after two days, I was pain-free. Oh, um, that's good. Yeah, the only pain I really had was that first night in ICU, um, which is to be expected. Right. And uh, and then, then the day they had to pull all the chest tubes out of me, um, <clears throat> that didn't feel good. <laughs> uh, so that, that had to be down for a couple hours. Um, but after that, I was up walking around all the time, feeling really good. And, and I... <laughs> being in shape you know that's one thing about outdoor archery i love too 
indoors a lot of shooting and that that gets you in a good shape muscle wise for your chest and everything but outdoors we are hiking walking to each target and uh, some of the terrains they have us on is absolutely insane hiking up the side of this mountain you know and, and shooting pulling your arrows going back in there that's a workout in itself yeah it is <laughs> and uh and i guess that's why i like outdoors so much is just it's it's not only your shooting skills and your judging skills, um, but it's the physical aspect of what it puts you through as well. Um, that's what's getting me geared up for hunting season is doing all that. Uh, you know, one thing to shoot a bow at a spot at 20, 40 yards, you know, and, uh, and, and become a good shot. But how are you doing as you're hiking out to your stand? climbing up in it you know and, and and or spot stalking across the country you know a lot of i'm starting to do more and more of that um grounding and pounding you know it just <laughs> it it's opened up um opportunities to harvest deer that if i had just sat in a stand right there it probably wouldn't have had a chance to uh and so the last few years i uh this past season, let I guess the last three years, shot deer off the ground, and uh, some pretty big bucks. <laughs> that if I wouldn't have been on the ground, I would have never had them come in range of my stand. So, uh, just a different aspect. It's kind of fun. Yeah, if you're in an area where you can do that, that's that's always kind of fun. I've I've done a little bit of that as uh, at a stand that was way up on another hill over there and so i said i'm just gonna go in slow see if i can see something on the way and yep. i got there and i got i got you know i was the other end of the field and i was like ah nothing so i just started walking up oh, pops a deer runs off like oh man so i said okay they're gone so i take more. another one pops up and runs off and i'm like <laughs> you, you know you, you, so sometimes like you, well just don't worry about it just either just walk in and throw them out or stalk the whole way so i, I i've stalked it I, i've i've learned different things over the years of course you know the more you hunt the more people you hunt around you you get different tricks and tips and everything from everybody and and uh i still go back jesse moorhead you know is he's, he's one of the best archers and hunters i know i mean he's, he's won 12 world championships i believe uh he's killed so many animals across the country and across the world um he he shot the largest white tail in 2001 with a bow and uh called that one the general 243 inch 23 point just monster he shot out in kansas and uh and so i've always kind of went to him for a lot of a lot of hunting tips you know different yeah. ideas and uh i remember the one time I, and i just thought he was crazy but i talked about man it's Getting to my one stand, it's so loud. There's so many sticks and twigs and everything. You know, I said, I'm going to have to go in an extra hour early in the morning, you know, just to sneak to my stand and try and get into it quietly. And he goes, why are you trying to get into it quietly? I said, well, I'm trying not to bump anything. And he goes, if I were you, I would run to that stand, hit every stick and branch you could on the way there and get there as quick as possible. I started thinking for a minute. I said, what? He goes, trust me. He goes, what is stalking through quietly trying to not make a noise? He goes, a predator. He goes, does a deer sound like that going through the woods? I said, 
No, not really. Deer make quite a bit of commotion going through, so do squirrels and everything else. Just try it. So I did. I said, why not? What do I got to lose? I was hunting in northern Missouri. So I grabbed my bow that morning and grabbed all my stuff, and I booked it right through that woods. Lucky I didn't fall on my face. I was jumping over some stuff <laughs> and uh, made all kinds of racket, climbed up into my stand, raised my stuff. Within two minutes, I had a herd of deer come running in right behind me, gathered all underneath my stand. It's still pitch black. I can just see them underneath the moonlight. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they, they all followed me in, just kind of milling around there. I'm like, wow, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> so I guess I got different theories of that. Now, I, I used to think you had to be so quiet. Now I'm like, well, if I'm in a hurry to get to my stand, I'm just going to run out to it and get to my stand. So, yeah. Well, you don't you don't sound like a predator or sound like a human, you know, that cadence in there. And, you know, when you listen to squirrels in the field, they'll they'll they'll, they'll scurry around a little bit and stop moving around mm -hmm. the top. And uh, there was one time I was out, it's, it's right at, you know, prime time in the morning for the deer to come through. And I heard this awful racket in these reeds that was about 100 yards away from me, making all kinds of racket. And I, I'm thinking, who's the inconsiderate hunter out here stomping through the reeds <laughs> at perfect time? No, I, I seen this big buck come walking through, it's, you know, 100 yards uh, away. But yeah. it was, it was a, a deer come walking through all the reeds, making all this racket. And <laughs> Yeah, you know, and that's, I guess the, the more you experience you know, the outdoors like that, the more things you learn. Um, my kids, you know, they've been blessed with shooting deer at young ages. Uh, Dalton was eight years old when he got his first. My daughter, Avril, was eight years old. Uh, Jacob would have been. I messed that one up this year on him. It was his first year deer hunting. And uh, at the time, I was, I was struggling with my heart failing. You know, I, I knew I had to have surgery. Something wasn't quite going right. And, uh, but I wanted to take them out anyway. So I, I took them out to a blind. We, I got this property that I could park my truck, put a pop-up blind right in front of it and have deer come 20 yards away. <laughs> they just, uh, they ignored my truck and everything. And I'm like, I wasn't in real good shape at the time. So I'm like, ah, oh, I could do that. Be an easy hunt for him. So that's what we did. And I had the 350 legend for him, you know, um, the gun that didn't kick, you know, I wanted him to shoot his first deer. And uh, so I was so geared up of getting him in position, getting the shooting stick in position and everything. Uh, put the clip in. For some reason, I you just had a little bit of a brain fog moment and forgot to rack a shell in. Oh. <laughs> and so later on, as the night goes on, here comes about seven, eight deer coming out. And this big old doe is standing there. I said, are you ready? He goes, yeah, yeah. Of course, he's all excited. He's shaking. And he's got the crosshairs on her. I said, all right, easy squeeze the trigger. And he did, made the perfect squeeze and just took his time. And then heard click. And he goes, what happened? I said, well, oh, that's my bad on that. You know, <laughs> got the rack of shell. And so, uh. I tried to rack one in, but it was too late. She, she took off and, and that was the last chance we uh, had to hunt um, last season. So he should have had his first deer at eight years old too, but my bad. And I'm going to have to make it up to him this year. <laughs> <laughs> but he got out there. He was able to take the shot. It just, 
forgot to load it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, uh, you know, like I said, just, I love taking the kids out. It's, um, and the wife got her uh, a nice big doe this year. Uh, she's been wanting to get one of the big bucks I keep harvesting, but she at least shot a big bow, big doe and, and, uh, provided some meat. So that was, uh, that was a good thing. And, um, I said, last year was kind of crazy. I didn't hunt as much as I normally do just because different things going on with the family. Uh, unfortunately, heart issues was a big thing of last year. Yeah. This year. And uh, mine I've known about forever, I guess. Uh, in 2018, I had a total heart failure um, where they had to put in a pacemaker. Uh, I lost all the electrical system in my heart. And then they told me then that my valve was bad, but not at the point of needing replaced. It's not a matter if it's a matter of when you might go four to eight years, maybe 20. We just got to keep an eye on it. Well, I got the five-year warranty, I guess, because <laughs> this year after your test results, you're like, how you been feeling lately? I said, oh, I get fatigued a little bit, but you know, I've always pushed through. I was still competing. I was still, you know, pushing myself to the limit. I said, well, you've been in heart failure since July. <laughs> so I was actually shooting the world championships while my heart was failing and uh and still able to continue to push through on that and uh, i was getting ready to go down to foley alabama for the first you know asa outdoor of the year and uh i said can we wait for surgery until after tournament season and i was actually just going to take this hunting season off and uh he said well we can but you're playing with fire if you do that <laughs> and uh he goes, but it's your call. I said, let's schedule it for the middle of August. I said, let me finish my season, make some money. That way I can at least, you know, have a little bit carrying me through the year. And uh, he agreed as long as I didn't have my blood pressure go up or any chest pains. Well, I started praying about, was that the right decision to push this off? My blood pressure went up through the roof and I started having daily chest pains and my heart failure numbers actually doubled in two weeks time. So I uh, had to re-meet with the surgeon and said, yeah, you were right. I was wrong. Um, sometimes it's hard for us men to admit that. And uh, I guess we got to operate now. And he goes, probably a good call because um, you wouldn't have made it till August if you had waited. He goes, uh, the way things were looking. So praise the Lord, I'm still here. Um we got it done and I went in strong enough now to bounce through this really quick. Uh, unfortunately, as far as the tournament side of me this year, I should be able to hit about five national tournaments, which is half of what I try and do each year, but it's better than none at all. And uh, I don't know what it's going to do for my shooting wise. So I got a little bit of an excuse for the first couple tournaments. If I'm a little off my game, <laughs> <laughs> Haven't been on practice for a few months. <laughs> yeah, uh, I am going to start, uh, since I can walk and do all that, I can't lift anything, I can't push and pull, but they said I can walk, so um, I can't drive right now. I got to have people cart me around, so I got my, my daughter just got her learner's permit, Oh, so she, she's been driving a little bit, you know, helping out, but, uh, and then my wife, and uh, I'm going to have them take me to local archery ranges where I can at least look at different scenarios, start judging targets, might not be able to shoot them, but I can go spend the days looking at them and get my walking in. So that's kind of the plan over the next couple months is 
to at least make sure my numbers are good for when I come back. Right. And, and, and hopefully my shooting don't leave me. <laughs> uh, it'll, it'll come back, you know, sometimes they come back better because now any bad habits you had, you can break them much easier because exactly. you haven't been doing them. And it's like, okay, here's the process, everything going through there. And it, you know, that's when you start back. It's like, okay, have somebody watch you. Yeah. You know, just have you, you know, have somebody watch you, even if you video it and send it to somebody and, and, and look at it and, and give you, you know, critiques right away before you get into some of the bad habits you may have had. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're going to come back stronger uh, and better than ever. Um, you know, and if I win a world championship at the end of the season, I said, they'll make a movie out of that one. So, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, I, I go against the best of the best, you know, I shoot open pro. Uh, so I, I'm going against Levi Morgan. I'm going against Dan McCarthy. I'm going against Jack Walls. I'm going against, you know, everybody that's got multi-world titles and, and, uh, and that, over the past five years since I've been back, I, I've had my name on the leaderboard along with them all. And there's days that my name's above theirs, but at the end of the weekend, they seem to have theirs on top. You know, they, uh, they're hard to beat. Uh, a little more because they, they may have a little bit of an off day, but their off day is better than most people's good days. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, I swear Levi's got the built-in range finder in his eyes, you know, uh, he, uh, he's gifted. And he does, he, he spent a lot of his younger years working toward that where he didn't have to work at it anymore. Uh, that's one of the things that once you develop that skill, yeah, you just got to sharpen it a little bit, but you don't have to work that hard at it. Um, you know, that that's, that's the thing, you know, I, just last year is the first time I got a rangefinder. you know, everything's just estimating it and I haven't even really used it too much. Yeah. Uh, you know, last year when I ended up going out rifle, I did because I wanted to set up for a little bit longer shot. My rifle set on dead on at 200 yards. So, you know, I needed to get far enough away that they'd have a chance to come out of that spot that they were coming out at too early in the morning and, and getting somewhere. And I wanted to have a, you know, chance for that long shot. And absolutely. And so I used it that, but, you know, it's, it's, you know, all these range finders are, they're kind of nice. Um, yeah. You know, especially for somebody trying to learn, it's like, okay, you're going to guess the yardage and then you're going to make the shot and then we'll range it and see what it was. Exactly. And that's the best way to do it. A lot of people, so a lot of people will guess the yardage, then range it, then take the shot. That doesn't help you for judging. No. Uh, because then you're going based on, sometimes it discourages you on judging. Um, we have something built in us naturally where if you have all the confidence in the world that it's that number, then shoot it for that number and believe in it. And subconsciously, we could be a yard or two off and still hit our mark. Right. Uh, everybody always thinks, oh, man, you had to have judged that right to the T or within a half a yard. That's not always the case. It's believing in your number or it's having a, a really good game plan where you're if you're struggling between a couple numbers, and you're like, well, it might be a couple yards hot on that one. Or that target, I, I tend to judge a little hot. So then say, all right, I might call an upper 12 on that. Just to be on the safe side, if I, you know, still aim where I'm going to aim, but call an upper 12 just in case it does rise. And um, so that's, that's one of the things in 3D archery is, is, is you learn what game plan works best for you and you stick with it. 
Um, my days where I'm judging really good, I'm within a yard. I'm happy with that. Um, I got some targets that'll still throw me and I might be three to five yards off and be like, Ooh, what did I see there? Um, but the best way to work on it is to go out there and believe it, judge it and shoot it. And if you hit your mark, don't range it afterwards. Just believe right. your number. It's when you miss your mark, then you're like, ah, how far off was I? You know, that's all right to do. But if, if you hit your mark, don't even bother clicking the range finder on it because archery is 90% mental. Right. And you got wrong. So. Yeah. And if you depend on the electronics that, you know, say you're out there, you're, you're walking through, you see this deer come out and you have to make a decision. Okay. How far is this a shooter? Yes. How far is it? You judge the yardage and then you drop, you know, you can be judging yardage, right? Get right. You're going through your drop process. Mm -hmm. I'm to use a range finder. Yeah. Only time I normally use a range finder when I get out into a new area I've never hunted, I'll have a tendency to pull mine out and I'll range different trees to get a layout of it. Yeah. You know, and uh, 90% of the time I ain't got time to range that deer when they come in, they're coming in hot and you know, you got to make a decision shooter or not. And if it is, right. you know, Oh, hold on. Let me pull my range finder. Okay. Let, you know, they don't know what's happening. <laughs> they're gone <laughs> um well, shooting multi-pins helps out you can kind of pin gap a little bit and that can kind of help you um get an idea if that what range that deer is in i mean uh, you, you put three pins and they're all in the lungs guess what one of them's gonna hit there so right. hey <laughs> and i've done that before <laughs> it's like such a, a quick spurt of the moment big buck coming running in i pull back all three around the vitals I'm letting her eat. Right. I, it doesn't I, matter I, at that point. Yeah. Um, now I hunt with a single pin a lot if I want to get longer range. This year I'm hunting with a new HHA Rice, which is a two pin on a rover dial system. So it could be 20 and say 34 yards. So I know on that gap. And then if it's something I got to take a further shot on, I adjust the sight to it. And and when I am taking, if I do decide to take a longer shot on a on an animal. I want to be able to dial right to it. Right. Um, but like I said, I try to, I try and get them in close. Um, but it is neat to know that, yeah, that deer is 80 yards out there and he's feeding and uh, has no clue I'm there. I can take that like, well, it's not windy. He's totally relaxed. And if I choose to, I can take it, you know. Right. Uh, but it, you got to look at each scenario. People, people will tear you apart for long shots uh, on oh, animals. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I kind of look at it this way. It, it's all in a comfort zone and a skill level. Because some people, if you can't hold a group the size of a pie plate at 30 yards, you know, you really don't need to be taking super long shots. No. But if I can hold a group, because uh, my average is the, is the size of a baseball or less, at a hundred yards. So why not? Right. <laughs> you know, um, and that's because I, you know, I, I, I spend my days shooting. I mean, when I can, and, uh, and I have the best equipment that you can ask for. I mean, I, everything is top of the line. I'm, of course, I'm very blessed with sponsors <laughs> on that. <you> know? <laughs> that helps. Yeah. I mean, 
every bow I shoots a, a three thousand plus dollar setup. Um, so I got the best of the best. I made sure it's one hundred percent tuned, and it's ready to go at those. Uh, so it's different for everybody. Some people's comfort zone is going to be that forty and in, thirty and in, and that's totally fine. Uh, and if you've never shot beyond 30, 40 yards, you shouldn't be shooting a deer beyond 30 or 40 yards. Yeah, uh, that's kind of what I was going to say. So what's your longest one that you, you can shoot at and hold, you, you know, a three inch smaller group? I'm like, well, that's your max range. Yeah, exactly. And, and I can consistently do that at 100 yards. Uh, 155, uh, I was holding softball size uh, when I was sighting in for that. Not all of them were consistent. They were really close. Uh, sometimes it's spread out to more of a pie plate, you know, but, uh, and then that it, a lot, there's a lot of variables when you're going that long a distance, you got a lot of wind. Uh, you, you might not know, you might not have a breeze right here, but a hundred yards down, there could be a breeze kicking in through right. somewhere. So it's gotta be the proper scenario for those. Um, I watched, I, I had a show called God's country for, for a few years. And, uh, it was a hunting show, uh, faith-based. And, and one of the hunts I shared on there was, uh, moose up in Alberta, Canada. Oh yeah. And, uh, Jesse Moorhead, um, and his cameraman were, were the ones doing the hunting and Jesse took his bow, shot a big, beautiful bull moose at 117 yards, right through the heart. It went 40 yards and piled up. And then he hands his bow to the cameraman, grabs the camera as there was another bull out in the field at 96 yards. So the cameraman using Jesse's bow <laughs> uh, shot the other bull at 96 yards that piled up on film. And they, they were working that scenario. That way they only had to have one bow in the field or one bow in the field. Uh, and if they ever had a chance to double, they knew they could do it with the same bow. And they were practicing at 150 yards that's good when when you can be that close in in draw length and draw weight you can shoot and, and yeah you don't have everything set up so one person can shoot or two big exactly. same bow. It, it doesn't always work like that but you know that was a scenario where it worked for both of them and and uh that was one of the coolest hunts we ever aired so yeah that is pretty cool when you one shoots one and you switch you know from camera to the bow and shoot another one Yep. And so uh that that's on my bucket list. A moose and caribou. I've I've yet to hunt. Um got a lot of friends that's done it. And so hopefully in the next couple of years I can uh go pursue that myself. I just don't know. Uh obviously Alaskan Yukon moose is probably the top choice if I um could ever afford to get there. I gotta I gotta win a couple more tournaments though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know it um Many years ago, I in the '90s, I, I had a chance to go on a moose hunt in, in uh, Ontario uh, with a friend of mine. And yeah, his rifle. I wanted to do archery, but it wasn't that wasn't season. He always did rifle. He didn't do archery. So yeah. I went there and and I got me a moose and and I had a cow tag in the area I was in. And you know, the day we we finally get one after going around, and there was one was on top of one hill. The road was this moose was down the hill and halfway up the next hill up <laughs> nice and you know of course i shoot it standing up yeah spent three years in high school on the rifle team so standing up is no big deal you know you kind of 
I don't need a steady stick. My arm is positioned for a steady stick. That's just to yeah. shoot rifles, you know. I've done yep. it for, for decades. And I I borrowed a guy's uh six with a four-par scope on it. You know, I had the old Springfield 1903, you know, just iron sights. I had yeah. that along with me too, just in case. But so I got this and I pull up and I look at this moose in my scope, and it's only about a third of the scope. Like, okay, this has got to be a ways out there with a four-power scope. Mooses are big. Yeah. <laughs> and and so I figured, okay, I, I put it where, you know, where I thought it was and shot missed. Mm. It just stood there because I'm probably 250 yards away or, or yeah. better. And so I said, okay, I must be shooting low. So I put it on the spine, you know, crossers around the spine right above the, the heart lungs and shot. And this time it kind of jumped, walked a little bit. It's like, man, I must be really off on my judging my yards. I'm a bow hunter. You know, I'm used to 20, 30, 40 yards. You know, I can judge those, but you know, in the, the 200, 300 yards, I wasn't doing it. So I raised up even higher. So I was about the head of the height, to the height of the, the head shot. It fell over dead. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, it must have been a lot longer. I get up there. I find no bullet hole. I couldn't find a bullet hole in it anywhere. I found one little bitty drop of blood, you know, about, uh, you know, maybe an eighth of an inch diameter spot. That was it. There was wow. no, it just fell over. And I said, what is going on? So next day where, you know, we field dressed it, no bullet hole in, in, in there. I couldn't find one. So next day when I'm taking all the hide off, I finally found the bullet hole right at the base of the skull. Really? Wow. I was way left. And then I happened to think, when I was sighting it in, you know, I was sighting in, you know, 100 yards and and I was off slightly to the left. Oh, well, this thinking, you know, off by, you know, an eighth of an inch at 20 some yards at 300 yards is off by, you know, feet. Yeah. And, oh, that's what I was doing. I was okay on my distance. It just, I didn't sight scope in right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that happens sometimes. Uh, we yeah. all get humble. <laughs> yeah, now but, I've got a little bit better at uh, uh, doing that on on my my new one. I got a Browning Xbolt Not Six, and being a reloader, I've reloaded, and I was able to do that for my Not uh, Six, the 180 grain Hornady. Oh, nice! And I put, you know, going to indoor range. It's I got a 16 power scope on it. And I can crank it in, you know, 16 power, you know, 20, 25 or 26 yards where the range is. I can put the crosshairs in the middle of the hole I just shot. So I got it sighted in. I put three shots in the same hole. You can see little bitty ridges around it. And nice. I worked up a load for my 270, and you couldn't tell there's more than one shot in it. It was just the exact same hole. That's and awesome. So now I know I, I'm going to be on on that one. And, and yeah. I'm be doing that is, uh, at 100 yards, I'm high. At 200, I'm on. And at 300, I'm low, about three inches. So I'm about two inches high. So I'm anywhere out to 300 yards, I put them where I want to go. And, and like on the podcast we talked about earlier, the, the, the last one to come out, you know, the uh, projectile is going to be rising and then dropping. So it's going to yep. pass your, your pin sight twice, once on the way up and once on the way down. Same thing with archery. Yeah, I, you know, a lot of people. ASA started doing it last year a little bit. IBO I think did on a on a tournament or two, where they would 
throw us in this target at two to seven yards. Oh yeah. And, uh, for people that's never shot anything like that, they don't know what to do. They're like, well, how do you set your sights at two yards? And, and for me, I know at two yards, I got to set my sight at like 70. Right. To park it too. I, I was and, actually, uh, at a tournament and I had a program that would calculate all that stuff for you. And I said, okay, yep. uh, five yards, shoot 70 yards. Yeah. And, and it's like, why shoot at 70? Well, then when you think about what we talked about there is the arrows at your mouth, your sights and your pins are at your eye. Yeah. So now, yeah, I did that. It was on a raised platform besides, you know, so it was about five yards out and was up, I don't know, dozen steps. So it was up probably 10 feet. So I'm leaning against the rail, bending over, bending over, bending over. Finally got that pin there and didn't shoot. And now that I was leaning so much, I had to have help to get back up. I was leaning so far over. But I yep. got a 70-yard pin where I wanted it and shot. Nailed it. You definitely got to make sure you have your cut charts ready for those situations. Uh, right. <laughs> um, I remember I, I was working with my kids prior to this tournament, making sure they were ready from two yards all the way to 10 and knowing what they had to do. And I neglected on making sure my new bow set up that I had it on what I had to do because they weren't doing this stuff to us at that time yet. And then the yeah. next thing I throw a seven yarder in there. I'm like, mm, I said seven yards. So then in my head, I'm trying to remember, I didn't have my cut chart with me. Like, what did I, I, you know, I know two yards is this, three yards is this, but what is seven? You know, and so uh, I had to take a guess, you know, and you can get humbled really quick on a seven yard target. Right. When, <laughs> when you shoot underneath that 12 ring and you shoot an eight at seven yards, that's a sick feeling. Right. And, <laughs> so close. Yeah. The weird part is that people say, well, I'll just sight down the arrow. You ever shot that way? Well, no. So how do you know how you're going to do it? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I made sure after that to always have my cut chart with me. That's, that's one of the things I won't leave without. Uh, because it might be one tournament a year. It might be four or five tournaments a year. They'll do something like that, you know, to you. Um, you know, shooting in the pro division, my average is 35 to probably 43 yards for about half the targets. And then you got your bombs out there, you know, 47 to 51 yards uh, for a lot of them. And then to see one under 35 is pretty rare, but you might see one or two a tournament. So you kind of get used to that range that you're used to shooting. But, and then, but uh, lately they've been trying to mess with people because Everybody's started getting used to that range that we were, you know, so you start right. judging that's another 39 yarder. It's another 42 yarder, you know, and you start getting kind of used to that. And then, oh, you can tell when it's the bombs, it's going to be the smallest target in the darkest hole. And they're going to stick it out there at 51 yards, 90% of the time. Right. <laughs> it's to me, it's like the Wolverine. If I see a Wolverine out there at an ASA shoot, I'm automatically to start dialing my sight down toward that 50 mark. Then I'll take a look at it and see see how close it is. But uh, where they mess me up is when they don't put it out at that bomb, because I'm like, oh, man, yeah. you know, now I don't know. Like I got to look at that at a whole different angle. <laughs> used uh, to be out at the fifty, put it out at at, at thirty seven or thirty eight, and <laughs> exactly. Uh, so uh, they do a really good job setting these courses, though they make us work for it. Um, there ain't a pro out there that didn't work hard all weekend to shoot the score they did. Um, 
just some of them, you know, there, there's a little bit of fortune that comes on your side. Sometimes you're just in, sometimes you're just out. Right. And, I, and I've had some of those weekends where I just was missing that 12 ring by an eighth of an inch. I was uh, just underneath, just needed to add a half a yard. Uh, wasn't quite hitting them. Then other weekends, you're just barely getting them. And th those are the ones you want. <laughs> yeah, better, better just barely get them than just miss, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. The payday is a lot better for sure. Right, right. Well, when, when you're on that, you know, using it to, to generate some income, yep. you know, that, that's a different level. And, you know, a lot of the listeners here aren't even near that. You know, they're they're just worried about, okay, not losing their arrows, you know, that you shoot. And what would what would you say to them that is like well i i can't afford all that you know two three thousand dollar equipment what would i you know how can i compete and what should i be doing well that and that's where you get in a class that fits you so they got novice classes out there uh boat novice is one it's a known distance um an asa ibo has a an unknown distance bow hunter they're a 30 yard class where your average shot's going to be 22 to 25 uh, you're in your comfort zone, and uh, and as you start developing your skills, we're like, man, that's class seems pretty easy. Well, then you can start going the following year and get stepping up to the something maybe a little bit further distance. Uh, and don't think you need the the best of the best. Get something that you can afford to get you out there shooting, and then there's always times to upgrade uh, as time goes on. Something that you're going to take more serious. Then you can say, "Hey, I, I'm going to put a better rest on. I'm going to I'm going to run a blade rest, a Hamsky Trinity, maybe, you know, um, or hey, I you know I can afford a little bit better bow, and uh, or maybe I'm going to get me a dozen new arrows that all match and have the same fletchings, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, and and there's a lot of people that'll help out. I've given a lot of stuff away over the years. Uh, giving people some phenomenal deals that couldn't afford to get it. And there's the archer community is a big family. Somebody's getting in. There's people that'll help you get going too. Yeah. If you're, you're serious about it and, and you want to learn, there's always somebody that's going to help you out with something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of people like, you know, that especially the people that are serious competitive archers that have way more stuff than we need. Uh, and somebody that's trying to get going, most of those times you can find somebody that will give you a good deal on a site or a rest or something to help you improve. So, well, and somebody new just starting out, get one of the ready to shoot packages. Yeah, absolutely. You have the rest, the site, the quiver. You just got to buy yeah. arrows. I know when exactly. I had my store, my ready to shoot package included arrows and tips yep. and a release. So you had to buy nothing except the bow case if you wanted a bow case. Yeah. Um, of which I carried some soft ones, but I didn't carry hard ones because Walmart sold them for $5 more than I could wholesale buy them for. Yeah. And then you pay shipping. So I just didn't carry hard cases because, yeah, why compete? I carried, you know, higher, higher end ones that we could get or the soft cases. Yeah. And, you know, start with one of those packages. And it's like, okay, you're going to get a cheap release if you, you know, the package I had, it was, you know, one of the real low end releases, um, you know, and then, if you like the sport, start upgrading. Exactly. Now it's like, okay, get a good release. Get, you know, get a good wrist strap or or whatever kind that you, you want to shoot. I wouldn't recommend starting with a handheld, you know, like I see you shooting back there. Um, yeah. As a beginner, it's not a beginner's release. 
Yeah. Because there's no way to make sure you don't pull that trigger because there's really, you know, just drawing back is going to fire it. So uh, yeah, be careful. There, I like put my finger behind the trigger when I draw on a, a wrist strap one. Exactly. You know, um, there is a couple out there, though, if somebody does want to get into a back tension release or, or a thumb, there's one uh, from Trueball called the Sweet Spot that has a safety on it. So if somebody says, well, I, everybody else is shooting that back tension, I want to try. Well, this one has a safety on where you can draw it back. Then you take the safety off. Then you start working in your shot process. But if you got to let down, you can click that safety back on and draw it down too for the for the beginner to help them get going right. in, in that direction. But yeah, the wrist strap releases are fine. Uh, the thumb releases. Um, somebody that's never shot archery before, there's no a three thousand dollar bow ain't gonna do them any good. No, until learn the fundamentals of shooting a bow, uh, and so get them something light poundage you know so many people think oh my buddy shoots 70 pounds i gotta try to and they they're struggling to get it back they're struggling with everything don't do that you want to be able to pull it back with ease you want to be able to work into it you want to start off blind bail shooting working on your shot process get up there at five yards don't try and go way back at 30 yards right back get up there at five yards hit the target that's one of the best things to do for spot shooters that, that i a lot of beginning archers I'll teach is I'll get them as they're shooting their bow, working on the fundamentals, working on their form, shoot a, shoot a five spot or a three spot at five yards. And if you can do a full round of 30, tar, you know, 30 arrows without missing, guess what? The next day we'll bump you back to six yards. Right. And so then the, work your way back. Yeah. And we'll work them back. And as long as they're still hitting, we'll continue to work them back a yard a day. Not big jumps, but we'll do a yard a day. But the moment they miss, then we'll bring it back forward because we want to build repetition with them. We want to build proper form with them and, the, and all the proper techniques. And then by the time they get done doing that and they work back to 20 yards, they're shooting 330X rounds. Right. You know? and, uh, and they don't have the bad habits that uh, a lot of people have, you know. One of the things, if you develop a bad habit for every bad shot you take, it takes about 50 shots, good shots, to get your mind to erase, erase that bad shot. You know, like I said, we always like to think about the bad shots, not the good ones. Exactly. You know, um, even if my weekend doesn't go how I think I should score, but if I know, hey, I went out there each day, made 20 good shots each day, 40 good arrows for the weekend, and I made the perfect shot every time. That's all that matters. The score will come if you're doing that. But if I went out there and I only made 35 perfect shots and I made five shots where I creeped or I pulled too hard or I got out of my stance or I didn't let down and I had a little dip bang accident, that'll ruin you. Right. You know, don't allow yourself to take those bad shots. Uh, learn to let down is what I tell a lot of people. Because the moment you fire that arrow, that's going to do something to you mentally. If, you, if it was... If, if things, if your feet weren't right, or if your shoulders weren't right, if, if everything just felt off, don't fire the shot. Right. Yeah. When I was first learning back tension release, this is, you know, once you get back to full draw, you start your aim, you start your motion. It should go off in the three to five seconds. That bow should go off. It doesn't let down because something's wrong. Yeah. And it go through it again. And if it doesn't go off, you st something is wrong. You know, yeah. you're, not, you're not doing something right. 
So it goes off and it should should go off within that three to five seconds that she, once you start pulling through the shot. Yep. And and just just work with it. And you, you got to stretch that rubber band. It's that constant push and pull, you know, like you're stretching the rubber band out yep. and have that explosion come in. It, it it should surprise you when it goes off and a surprise shot's always the best shot. Right. You know, yeah. and you have that good follow through with it. Um, yeah. And it, but the main thing for beginning archers is get out and enjoy it and right. have fun. Uh, don't worry about your score. That'll come, you know, worry about trying to make the best shot you can. And, uh, as long as you're out there having fun, that's all that matters. You know, um, it's one of the few sports out there where anybody can become a professional if they want to, right. uh, not everybody can be a, a football player in the pros or a professional baseball player or anything like that. That's very limited, but archery is one of those things that with the proper training and listening and, and, and work ethic, you can become a pro archer pretty easy. Yeah, pretty much if you're comfortable when put into work, you can achieve whatever level you, you want to go to. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a bunch of pro classes to kind of fit everybody anymore. They got known pro, senior pro, uh, open pro. I mean, there's there's a, a hunter pro and an IBO or with a pins. And so um, to kind of fit different people's skill level in those too. So, but uh, stick with the amateur classes because the entry fees are a lot cheaper as long as you can. And, and, and allow yourself to get bumped up. A lot of people just, they want to go, go, go jump right up into those classes uh which you can but it's better if you get forced up that means you made too much money that year in the amateur so you got to go shoot a higher class oh yeah it, and uh and it feels good when you get forced out of a class uh that way versus just jumping up and getting in the class that you might not be ready for well and then too you know sometimes i find if you shoot with um the better skill level Mm -hmm. brings your skill level up well iron does sharpen iron yeah there is a lot of truth to that so but you know they they like say in the financial world your your income is average the five people you hang around with yes so equating that to archery if you hang around people that are constantly you know in the middle of the pack you're going to be in the middle of the pack if you hang around those that are towards the upper scores then you're going to your scores are going to come up yep you know, no. so, because you're going to, you're going to learn what, what are they doing? You're going to see how they do it, what they do. They're doing it right. You know, yeah. if somebody do it wrong. And, um, you know, that's one of the things I started the Archer Talk 101 Facebook group for is, is to help archers develop their skills. And what, what we want to do is, you know, allow them to place to ask questions, you know, yes. I, I, I've had several people it's like upload their video because I'll be in other other groups and they'll say, well, how's my how's my form? Yeah, well, looks like crap, but I don't say that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I get comments like, well, practice more. Well, practice what? What are you doing yeah. wrong? They're wanting help. So I say, yeah. hey, I'm in this group, upload your video, and we'll take a look at it and give you pointers. Absolutely. And, and I'm taking, I've taken guys, you know, with you know, groups. Oh, what, six, eight inches, you know, and down to three arrows touching. Yeah. Uh, I've done, I've done that routinely, you know, just by videos. When I first started, the only video was a VCR. Yeah. Oh yeah. The only way you could video anything is on a VCR. And, and that was, 
you know, now you got to have the TV and play it back and and all that. And so you don't yep. see it. <laughs> but, you know, so when I first started Cajun, you know, I had to watch them shoot. You know, in, in 95, when I become an instructor, you're pretty much you're watching them shoot and critiquing them live. And they got to shoot again, shoot again and pick all these little things. Now with the videos, you know, our phones, this camera is better than most digital cameras, professional oh, absolutely. cameras. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the quality on them is just so good now that, you know, now you can record it and record it from different angles. And, and it's like, okay, well, here's what you're doing. You know, you need to do this and do this. And, um, you know, like you was talking about with your, your rubber band, you know, my, one of my techniques to, if my form goes away is I have a string that fit on my thumb that it, and it's, oh, my yeah. thumb, so I'll hook the release onto it. And when I shoot, that string should go straight off my hand. If it hangs up on my thumb, my form is off. Yeah. Cause that to do that is when you're, you're, you know, I have mine out straight. A lot of people have them tucked over. So they're kind of a open stance. Well, yep. what happens when you do that is you're putting pressure on the back of your hand back. So when it releases your hand, automatically goes out. And being many years of martial arts training, I want to go straight to the target. You know, mm -hmm. if you break a board and you go to an angle, what happens? You hurt your yeah. hand. Yeah, exactly. You break a board, you go straight through it, you know, focus on the destination, not not the, the target. You know, the board would be like your pins and your focus beyond it, which would be your target. You go through it, yeah, my, you know, my little little sting on your hand, but it doesn't hurt your hand. That's the board at an angle is going to hurt your hand. You know, Absolutely. Same with, with archery. So, you know, with my martial arts training as well as archery training, I kind of merge them together. So I want that hand to go straight to target. When you shoot, that hand should be pointing, that finger should be pointing right at your right at your target. If it's not, you're directing the force differently. And now you can't go through and do it consistently because you're pulling off to the side. Yep. And, and I have a little bend in my arm, so it allows me to go straight. You see somebody completely locked out. And you can't, you, you can't hear it, but you can see you know, when the arm's a little bent, you you can see my shoulder raises up when I straighten that arm out. And that's why a lot of people have shoulder injury. I actually had a physical therapist on, on one of the podcasts, you know, probably a year ago, we talked about shoulder injuries and, and, you know, what to do for them. And that's, that's, you see a lot of old archers have that shoulder injury because they've been locking that arm out. Mm -hmm. Now that doesn't mean you can't always do that. I had a guy when I had my uh, store come in and he had MS and he couldn't put the bend because the heart just shake like crazy. So we locked it out. So we had to modify his form, yep. you, you know, to accommodate a physical challenge. And, you know, the way I teach it is the best for me. Yeah. I'm going to teach it to you and then modify it to fit you. You know, that's what a good instructor is going to do is you're not going to be all this one focus. You know, I learned that a lot in martial arts teaching the same technique. One person gets it, the other one does it. You tell it a little different way. And, and all of a sudden it works. It's the same technique, just taught slightly different. And there's a lot of stuff in there. I, I do my toes lined up, you know, put an arrow on the tip of my toes. It should point to my target because I'm straight off the target and straight away. And the same yep. thing, like you're saying, it should be an expansion both ways, you know, straight line from the elbow through the hand, through the arrow to the tip. It should all be in a straight line. If it's yep. back, your drawing's too long. If it's short, it's too short. So you need to get that kind of, so you're straight. So as you pull back, you know, it, it goes straight through. And and that and that's the, the good thing about a proper bow setup. Like I said, some people that get in archery and they just pick up a bow, 
make sure you get to a good pro shop or, or somebody with some good knowledge to set you up. Doesn't have to be the most expensive bow out there, but you're going to want it set up to your draw length and to your comfort zone on poundage. Um, that's going to be key for anybody starting out. Because uh, if you're going way too long and draw and you're stretched out and everything else, you're never going to be at your peak performance when you're shooting something not set up for you. Well, and just going to a pro shop doesn't mean you're going to get good advice. Exactly. You need my, to my first compound bow. I went to the, the the pro shop. Yep. And you know, I was telling them I'm looking to get you know a compound bow, get my first one, because uh, I chopped my brother's whitetail too, and I wanted one of my own yep. now. Yep. And he said, "Here's here's one, Charles Max. How's that feel? Okay. I'm 29 and a half at a starling. That was 32. Yeah. I didn't know any better. It's 32. So." When, when that one ended up breaking, um, that's a story all in itself. Uh, I got another bow and I thought, well, I need the 32 inch drawing. Come to find out, you know, I had another bow that after I got that, that one had another bow is, is an old PSC and go down with my, you know, when I was going through learning the back tension release and also, you know, learning to be an instructor as well. And he says, okay, you're too long. You need 29 and a half draw length. And this is a Friday night. And then Saturday night was the next one. Sunday was the third day. So Saturday, I had to go make my bow 29 and a half inches. Or there's no reason to come back because you can't teach back tension when you're too far stretched out. Exactly. And and so I went through this, you know, changing strings and everything else, you know, because you can change your string length and cable lengths and you can shorten a draw length and, you know, move yep. modules or whatever. And I got it down to that. And was going through there and like you say blind bell shooting what they had us do when we're shooting is we were close enough to reach up grab our arrow and pull out the backstop that's how close it was there's like 20 of us on the line shooting with our eyes closed learning yeah. the technique until we finally figured out what we're doing to open our eyes and then our farm just went crap again <laughs> so then you close your eyes until you finally feel it and open your eyes and it finally can do with your eyes open and you know when i'm teaching one of the things i'll do is you know like the surprise release i'll i'll, I'll get them out there Okay, we've already got the bow set up, right? Drum, you know, everything. So now we're, we're teach, starting to teach them. I says, okay, finger off the trigger. I'm going to show you what a good release feels like. Your only job is to aim. I'm going to yep. pull the trigger. So yep. they pull back and draw back and aim and aim. Is it ready? Okay, aim, aim, aim. And, and I'll pull that trigger. Nine times out of 10, they hit exactly where they want it. Yeah. All they did was aim. And yeah. that's what people don't understand. Your job is to start energy in a bow. And that's it. Yep. Absolutely. That's your job. Once you've stored the energy, your job is done. Yeah. That's, you know, that's a lot of ways to, it's, it's a great sport for people to love getting them set up properly. People with proper knowledge around it. There's a lot of people, unfortunately, that give some bad knowledge that, right. uh, you know, so, and not every pro shop's created equal as far as that goes, because there's, right. Yeah, there's there's good and bad and all that, but um, we're in a day of technology now where it's it's pretty easy to to Google Levi Morgan or Nathan Brooks or one of the pro archers and get some tips and and find out hey what's the best. There's a lot of forums out there. What's the best pro shop in my area to go get a beginning setup? You know, um, and and a lot of people give some good information on that. Uh, it's a pretty good community of people that like to help each other. Uh, I mean, even in the pro archery circuit, if I'm having an off day, the, the beautiful part about shooting as a professional or any or amateur, 
most of the time, if you're having an off day, the people you're shooting with, your peers, are trying to help you figure out what's going on. They don't want to beat you because you're having an off day. They want to beat you at your best. Right. And they don't want to just see you fail. And uh, there's been so many times like, man, if I heard something going on in my bow or something was shooting a little left and what's going on, everybody in the group would be overlooking my bow to try and find it out. Right. You know, that's an awesome community. You ain't going to find in, in any other professional sport out there, you know, somebody willing to help you win. Uh, so it, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And that's kind of a common thing amongst, you know, everybody I talk to is just like, if you have a problem, you know, ask somebody and, and they'll, they'll help you out. You know, like I always say that the only dumb question is one you haven't asked yet. Yeah, absolutely. That's a fact. Cause if it's, if you have a question to ask it, it's not dumb. Yeah. Keep asking the same question, you know, 50 times in a week. Yeah. Then there might be something else going on. There's a time where you got to start remembering it for sure. Right. <laughs> There, there might be something going on. There might be something else we need to look at too, is, you know, why are you asking the same question? But, Absolutely. Well, Roy, it's been awesome. Uh, any other questions you have for me? Oh, no. It's like, I just looked at it. It's like, we've been talking for a couple hours now. So I, uh, <laughs> well, that's cool. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what's so fun about these talking to archers all over the world. And, and you know, it's it's getting real obvious that it's no matter where you go, yeah, if you're an archer, you're automatically fit. If you've got a bow in your hand, you're a friend already. Absolutely, we'll speak the same language, but at least we're shooting the same. You know, we're we're in that that world, and you know, now with you know the Google translates and and on your phones, you know, we can still communicate back and forth. You know, Absolutely. even though even though we may not speak the same language, but we do speak the same language. Just big archery. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's a sport that we all love and uh, and excited to, you know, fellowship with other archers, you know. Right. Uh, I'm blessed to shoot with people all over the world uh, at different tournaments. And so, uh, and, and we're always learning. Just because right. you hit the, the skill level of a pro and you're competing in that class and you're winning a few tournaments, you never stop learning. No, there's, there's something new every day, you know, and I learned something new, you know, just talking to you guys, you know, I was like, oh, I hadn't thought of that, you know, or, yeah. you know, I have to try that, you know, or, or sometimes just me explaining what, what I'm doing is like, oh, I'm saying to do this, but I don't do this. You know, when you video yourself, you know, shooting, so it's like, that ain't what I tell people to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's hard to critique yourself. And I, I know there's, there's a lot of, cause I'll cre create some videos sometimes, you know, for my YouTube channel um a different stuff on that and you know, going out shooting and sometimes i'll use that as like okay what's wrong what's wrong with this you know and it's like okay everybody try to guess and it's like okay here's what's wrong <laughs> whether i did yeah. it on purpose or not you know sometimes i didn't do it on purpose and it's like okay what's wrong you know because it's like i realize what's wrong but i want to see anybody else knows and then we can get this conversation going and um you know that's that's why i like like the archery group and there's people all over the world in that yep. group. so absolutely you know in my listeners that are listening to the podcast or or watching the video on youtube um you know join that group you know it's arch talk 101 facebook group there's a lot of people in there and it's growing all over all over the world we got people in the group that i have to google map them to figure out what country they're from <laughs> that's cool 
very cool so, all over the world and you know this i don't even know all the countries in there because i can't keep track of them. there's <laughs> over 700 people in the group so no it, it's growing i'm still trying to build it up yeah you know, a community of archers that just help each other out absolutely you know and that's what we're here for so uh and it, i i've really enjoyed talking about hunting and and shooting and everything with you I, and uh if you ever want to do it again i'm happy to so oh, oh yeah it's it, i'm always open for you know people that want to come on and you know if our listeners are watching you know hey you like come in and talk about archery you're more than welcome you know yep. the, the requirement to be on the podcast is you either have to want to shoot archery or are shooting archery yeah there you go. So I'd like to get somebody that's thinking about starting, you know, so if yeah. you're it's just starting out when I want to get started, let's get you on. You don't have to know anything, you know, like you, you know, professional and, and Olympic archers, you know, Hey, let's, let's get somebody that's new starting out, you know, or even kids, you know, what that do you like about it? Is that some of us learned the hard way along the way, you know, when we weren't doing things properly. And, uh, but it's good that, people that want to get into it go to the right places for their information so right and we can walk people through you know all that is you know i actually had a uh, one of the podcasts one of the first ones like what do you need to know before you even go to the archery store you know and one of the things is okay what's your dominant eye you know roughly what's your draw length so you know that and then here's some of the other things that you're going to need to know when you get to the store they should be asking you okay why why do you want to start archery you know, the reason I asked that is, okay, did you just see, watch the Hunger Games? You want a longbow, you want a recurve, you want a compound, you watch somebody in Olympic sports and you want to do Olympic archery. I need to know where to direct you. So I need to know that. I need to also know what your dominant eye is. I know whether what's in a right or left-handed bow. And yep. then, you know, if I know what you want to do, if you, if you just want to fling arrows at a target in your backyard, hey, you know, let's, let's get you something to do that. You don't need to spend a lot. Or it's like, yeah, I really like to do bow fishing, so they don't want yeah. a bow fishing setup. Yep. You know, so what do you want to know? And you know, when you get to the store, if they don't ask you those type of questions, either find something else that does, or go somewhere else because they exactly. don't, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to help you. They just want to sell you stuff. And the guys that want go in that are working on hundred percent hundred percent commission. Well, as a store owner, I'm working a hundred percent commission because I don't get paid you know, and yeah. I was great, you know, I get paid on the profits, you know, the business exactly. things. And, you know, I'd have a new person come in and I'd direct them to back then, you know, it was the Nova bow, which is the yeah. one bow that I set up. You know, you could buy that anywhere, but the way I had it set up, nobody could price compare because I had the, the true fire, the, the inexpensive at that time was like a, a $20 release included with the bow a half a dozen arrows with tips fletched in whatever colors you wanted because they're all custom fletched because I, I started no, no fletched arrows. Yep. And here's the only thing you need is shooting instruction. Oh, that included with the bow. So I'd teach you how to shoot, you know, and this is a $350 bow back then, you know, all set up, ready to go. And you don't need anything. You know, exactly. my thought was, okay, starting out, if you don't like the sport, are you going to have a thousand dollar bow in, in a closet or, or a $350 bow in the closet? Exactly. I know, want that, that cheap one in the closet, not the expensive one. Absolutely. That thousand dollar bow is for when you say, man, I really love this. Now I want to 
upgrade my equipment, you know, but get to shooting and, and build that love and passion for the sport. And then you start realizing, well, what's the difference between this $350 bow and this $1,000 bow? Once you've shot enough and, and, and learned that skill of what it takes to shoot, then you'll start realizing the differences. Oh, this one is smoother. This one has no hand shock, you know, there's no right. vibration from it. Uh, this one shoots faster. You know, I, I can, I can carry a better group for a longer distance, you know, um, but a beginning archer isn't going to realize any of that because they're still no. learning. But it's so. like with stabilizers, you know, you, you've got the, the cheap, you know, hunk of aluminum and, and then you have the big high dollar ones and, you know, we're looking at them, you know, some of the bows used to come with a stabilizer and a sling because I'm mm -hmm. sure you had the one on there because the sling is important. So you don't have to grab your bow. Yeah. And I'd put the, the cheap one on there and have them shoot it, pull it off, put the expensive one on there and shoot it. Feeling difference? No, buy the cheap one. Exactly. I made more money off the expensive one, but that wasn't what I was doing. I only sold them what they needed, not what I wanted them to have. Because what I would shoot wasn't that because my bows were running, you know, if back then, you know, six hundred to eight hundred dollars just for the plain bow itself. Absolutely. And, and, that, and now the newer ones, my my newest one, um, I was able to get really priced, but it was, you know, it was a nine hundred dollar bow. No, no sight, no rest, no nothing, just the plain bow. Yeah. And, and they add up quick. That's for sure. <laughs> they do. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. You know, now with the price of arrows, you know, you might be for a good set of arrows because I only shoot good ones. You know, I shoot, you know, the comp pros in the little, which is a 1000 straightness. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any around that aren't, aren't that because uh, you can take and shoot a, a, a six thousandths or three thousandths arrow at a group and you might keep them in the white um or or shoot a one thousandths and keep them in the x yeah so exactly the only different is the arrows and i've proved that many times yep <laughs> you know buddy mine was shooting you know the the lower end ones and it's here shoot mine it's like I mean, his group was much tighter that's uh it's all about the setup that you learn eventually and, and the equipment to get. And, and, uh, so and it's always fun to upgrade. Just do it over time. No yeah. need to go spend three grand on a setup. If you ain't got a boat. <laughs> yeah. But, well, awesome, Roy. It's uh, it's been a pleasure. I think I'm going to go get me some food here now. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, it's about that time. It's been real, real fun talking with you and I'm sure we'll, We'll do this again. Um, thanks for being on the show. Yep, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah. My name is Roy Canterbury, and you host today on Arch Talk 101.